1 Samuel chapter 30. What I'll do this morning is I'll read the first eight verses for this message today. 1 Samuel chapter 30, verses 1 through 8. And it came to pass, when David and his men were come to Ziklag on the third day, that the Amalekites had invaded the south, and Ziklag, and smitten Ziklag, and burned it with fire, and had taken the women captives that were therein. They slew not any, either great or small, but carried them away, and went on their way. So David and his men came to the city, and behold, it was burned with fire. And their wives and their sons and their daughters were taken captives. Then David and the people that were with him lifted up their voice and wept until they had no more power to weep. And David's two wives were taken captives, Ahinoam the Jezreelitess and Abigail the wife of Nabal the Carmelite. And David was greatly distressed, for the people spake of stoning him, because the soul of all the people was grieved, every man for his sons and for his daughters. But David encouraged himself in the Lord his God. So David said to Abiathar the priest, Ahimelech's son, I pray thee, bring me hither the ephod. And Abiathar brought thither the ephod to David. And David inquired at the Lord, saying, Shall I pursue after this troop? Shall I overtake them? And he answered him, Pursue, for thou shalt surely overtake them, and without fail recover all. Starting this series, Victory from Defeat. In this particular time in David's life, he and his men had been on the run for some six years. He had been constantly on the move, fleeing from King Saul, who wanted David dead. Along with being on the move for so long, he and his men had been involved in numerous battles and were growing tired. David found himself in this predicament, though, because he had made a series of choices in his life, such as he honored and obeyed his father, He believed God and won the victory over Goliath, and he served his king Saul, counting him as God's anointed. And it was for this reason we find God referring to David in Acts chapter 13, verse 22, as a man after mine own heart. However, there was a point in his life when, in fleeing from Saul, he sought refuge among the enemies of God, the Philistines. This latest journey found them returning from their families and temporary homes to Ziklag, a city given to David by King Achish. He was the Philistine king. But when they returned, they found that the city had been burned and all their loved ones had been taken captive by the Amalekites with their homes being destroyed and their possessions gone as well. It was, to say the least, an extremely discouraging time However, throughout this, the greatest of David's trials to this point in his life, he remained faithful to the Lord and trusted that God would grant him victory and to his followers as well. What I'd like to do in this series, in this passage, is see how David reacted to this turn of events in his life and learn four great lessons, not only effective at this time, but as well applicable to us as Christians today when we're facing great trials in life. Those four lessons are prayer in the midst of pain, compassion in the midst of commitment, obedience in the midst of opposition, 
and graciousness in the midst of greed. We will look at these over the four weeks that we have before us, beginning with this first thought this morning, prayer in the midst of pain, verses 1 through 8 in our reading. Notice with me three things this morning concerning this matter, this first lesson that we can learn from the life of David as he goes through this great trial. Notice verses 1, 2, and 3, we see the problem that David was faced with. Again, it came to pass when David and his men were come to Ziklag on the third day that the Amalekites had invaded the south and Ziklag and smitten Ziklag and burned it with fire. Verse 2, it says, they took the women captives, they went on their way, and then the end of verse 3, their wives and their sons and their daughters were all taken captive. So here's the problem. The Amalekites were a traveling band of marauders who took advantage of the war between Israel and the Philistines, and as a result would plunder several cities when they had opportunity. They would watch, and when a city was left unguarded because the men went out to battle, they would move in, they would attack, they would take what they could, and then they'd hurry on back to their own area of safety. Ziklag came under the radar of these Amalekites, and as a result, that city was ransacked. The problem for David was the enemy had come in and taken all of their family and their possessions. Their family was going to be sold into slavery. Their family had come under the control, the authority of their enemies. What's interesting is one of the curiosities associated with the Amalekites in Scripture in connection to the Israelites is it seems they were always around to cause trouble. We're not going to take time, but I'm going to point out a few verses of Scripture here this morning so we can see this. Exodus chapter 17 verse 8. Then came Amalek and fought with Israel in Rephidim. That's when the children of Israel were on their journey through the wilderness. Numbers chapter 14, verse 43. Then the Amalekites and the Canaanites are there before you, and ye shall fall by the sword because ye are turned away from the Lord. Therefore the Lord will not be with you. But they presumed to go up unto the hilltop, nevertheless the ark of the covenant of the Lord, and Moses departed not out of the camp. Then the Amalekites came down, and the Canaanites which dwelt in that hill, and smote them, and discomfited them even unto Hormah. Judges chapter 6, verse 3. And it was so, when Israel had sown, that the Midianites came up, and the Amalekites, and the children of the east, even they came up against them. And again, in 1 Samuel chapter 15, you see, over and over again, the Amalekites have proven to be a problem for the children of Israel. And it's interesting, in 1 Samuel chapter 15, the Israelites were commanded of God to completely wipe out this people, the Amalekites, and therefore the threat, the problem would have ended. But it didn't happen that way. King Saul disobeyed the Lord, and as a result, the Amalekites continued throughout the history of Israel in the Old Testament to be a problem for the children of Israel. One thing we can learn about this today, or learn from this today, is the devil is real, and he is always on the prowl. He's always there. He is always ready to give us trouble. The Israelites were seeking to do right. However, in two of these passages, I didn't read all of the text, but in two of these passages, the children of Israel had disobeyed the Lord. And God used the Amalekites to punish 
the children of Israel. Isn't it amazing? The devil stirs up a lot of trouble on his own, but every now and then God allows him to challenge the people of God. We see this in the life of Job, how that Satan went before the Lord and questioned the integrity of Job. God said, put him to the test in so many words. And we understand that story and we're familiar with that. Well, even today, we find the devil walketh about as a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. It has been his goal ever since he was cast out of heaven to replace God. We see that in Isaiah chapter 14, the, fr- the five I wills of Satan. When he said, I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will sit also upon the mount of the congregation. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will be like the Most High. Satan has been working ever since the time he was cast out of heaven to replace God in the minds and hearts of all people in the world today. For us as Christians, we're safe. We're no longer under His authority. However, we are still having to deal with the influence of Satan in our lives. He can't get a hold of our soul. But He certainly can grasp our testimony and harm the cause of Christ through a fallen saint of God. That's why the Scripture places so much importance on us as God's children living for the Lord and honoring God and following His example rather than being caught up in the wiles of the devil. Luke 22, verse 31, Jesus emphasized the work of Satan when He said to Peter, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan hath desired to have you that he may sift you as wheat. The enemy, the wicked one, has a desire to destroy the testimony of God by harming as many of God's saints as he possibly can. And may I give you this additional bit of bad news. It's not going to end until we leave this world. His efforts will continue until the time God calls us home. Well, his efforts in our lives Once God calls me home, I don't have to deal with him any longer, but if you're still here, you do. The point is, he's going to continue until the very end to fight against God and the forces of righteousness. And as a result, we are going to constantly be faced with struggles and challenges and trials in this life. So the question is, what do we do when we find ourselves Challenged by the wicked one. What do we do when we find ourselves faced with heartache and distress and despair? I think you would agree with me this situation with David and his men. It was heartbreaking. These, these men, they, were, they didn't know what to do because of the onslaught of the wicked one. Pastor Powell said, Satan is not like God. He never warns before he strikes. Someone else has said, Satan, like a good fisherman, baits his hook according to the appetite of the fish. Satan's going to keep working. He's going to keep pushing. He's going to keep doing everything he can do to oppose the work of God here on earth and to oppose the testimony of us as his saints. Look with me, if you will, in verses 4, 5, and 6. We see the enemy in these first three verses, and we see his activities. Notice with me, if you will, the pain. 
The problem is we face an enemy. The pain, verses 4, 5, and 6, David and his people that were lifted up their voice and wept until they had no more power to weep. He goes on to say David's two wives were taken. And then in verse 6, David was greatly distressed and so on. For David, these three verses begin with heartache, but they end with hope. See, not only did he suffer the personal loss of family and possessions, but he also experienced the pain of having all of his comrades turn against him. David had to swallow both of these bitter pills at the same time. This, no doubt, would bring unbearable pain and heartache to anyone who would experience a similar difficulty. The fact is, many of life's lessons are filled with difficulties. Difficulties great enough to even break the heart of the strongest of men. Notice it says here that the men wept until they couldn't weep anymore. These were rugged, strong, fighting men who were regularly involved in battles for their own safety. Yet they came to a point in their life when they just said, we can't go on anymore. They were brokenhearted and they were so upset. They looked to David and they blamed him. Tragedy for some believers is that we can't see past our problems. Yes, we have to deal with the world, the flesh, and the devil. Those are our three biggest enemies. Sometimes those three areas seem to be working overtime against us, don't they? Sometimes it seems like the problems just don't quit. But David, in this situation, as heartbreaking as this was, as painful as an experience as it was, he was able to look past his problems and saw the Lord. Here's the difference. Notice the end of verse 6. But David encouraged himself in the Lord his God. What a turning point in a very dark, dark time in his life. We're reminded of the words of Joshua, chapter 1, verse 9, wherein he said, Have not I commanded thee, be strong and of a good courage. Be not afraid, neither be thou dismayed. For the Lord thy God is with thee, whithersoever thou goest. We have the promise today, just as saints of old had that same promise, that God is ever with us. He will never leave us nor forsake us. He will always be at our side. Whether we're going through hardships or we're enjoying the greatest blessings that we can imagine, God is right there at our side. And remember, He's aware of every difficulty that comes into our life, every problem we face, every trial we endure, every pain we feel. Nothing happens that takes him by surprise. And nothing occurs without his caring about how it impacts our lives. What a great God we serve. The psalmist said, Psalm 34, verse 18, The Lord is nigh unto them that are of a broken heart, and saveth such as be of a contrite spirit. Psalm 145, verse 18, The Lord is nigh unto all them that call upon him, to all that call upon Him in truth. What a blessing to know the Lord is right there. We have the promise in Scripture, He will never leave us nor forsake us. But you say, well, what if I do something terrible? What if I do something that dishonor? What if I sin? What if I, what if I bring shame to myself and to my Lord? 
He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. He loved us yesterday. He loves us today. He will love us tomorrow. He will love us tomorrow the same way he loved us yesterday, for he is unchanging. His love for us isn't dependent upon our actions. His love for us is dependent upon his grace. That's why the scripture says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. He loves us unconditionally. What a great, great God we serve. David recognized in the midst of his heartache and his trouble, things were against him. His, his own heart was breaking because of the loss of his family, but also heartbroken because his comrades, his, the men he had been serving and, and living with for six years, had turned on him as well. But through it all, he looked to the Lord and found comfort, encouragement, and strength. From the God who cares. Sometimes we're helped by being hurt. A skilled physician about to perform a delicate operation on the ear of one of his patients said reassuringly, I may hurt you, but I will not injure you. This is a great lesson the Lord has for us as well. There are many hurts along the way. But when the Lord allows harm to come to us, it's because he wants to draw us closer to him. He wants us to be nearer to his side rather than straying away. For the scripture tells us in Hebrews, he chastens those whom he loves. Chastening is not pleasant, but it is purposeful. For it draws us back to the Lord and helps us to see He truly does love and care for us. It's not wrong to be hurt, but it's wrong to allow that pain to defeat you. As painful a situation as David found himself in, he didn't let it get the best of him. What a lesson we see in this. The third thing noticed through the remainder of these verses 7 and 8. The problem is, We have an enemy that opposes us. The pain we see is the emotion that goes along with those challenges and trials and heartaches and struggles of life. And then we see in verses 7 8 the plea, all the entreaty that David offered. David said to Abiathar the priest, Ahimelech's son, I pray thee, bring me hither the ephod. And Abiathar brought hither the ephod to David. And David inquired at the Lord, saying, Shall I pursue after this troop? Shall I overtake them? And he answered, Pursue, for thou shalt surely overtake them, and without fail recover all. This text gives us a strong lesson on prayer. You see, the answer to bitter, painful trials in a person's life is the Lord. Not blaming him, but turning to him. So what do we do? David turned to the Lord through Abiathar the priest, concerning God's will in the matter. He prayed. He referred to bringing the ephod. The ephod was a part of the priest's garment. It was an apron that contained the Urim and the Thummim, the sacred stones which represented one's ability to discern the will of God. It was the idea that uh, you were submitting to God's wisdom and authority in determining a matter. 
Well, we see that throughout Scripture, we are challenged to turn to the Lord when it comes to a time of seeking wisdom in this matter. David said in Psalm 34, verse 4, I sought the Lord, and he heard me and delivered me from all of my fears. Verse 6, this poor man cried, and the Lord heard him and saved him out of all his troubles. Psalm 91, verse 15, he shall call upon me, and I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. I will deliver him and honor him. God promises to hear the prayers of his saints. And we note that as God hears, he responds. He responds to those who turn to him in obedience and faith, seeking wisdom and instruction and guidance. And God grants that. James chapter 1 tells us, If any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God that giveth to all men liberally and upbraideth not. If you need an answer, turn to God. He's the one that has the answers. He's the one who knows what's going on. He knows our situation from beginning to end. And he allows those things to come into our lives. And he's already got a plan in place to see us through it. We need to turn to him and trust in him. Not blaming him. Not getting mad at God. Not getting angry because we we don't see things turning out our way. We need to turn to him in faith and trust that he will direct us through the situation and enable us to find victory. First Chronicles 16.11 Seek the Lord in His strength. Seek His face continually. Jesus said, You need help. Come unto me, all you that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart, and ye shall find rest unto your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Jesus told His disciples in John 16.24 Ask, and ye shall receive, that your joy may be full. One of the great lessons we see on prayer here is that even when you don't feel like praying, look to the Lord and find help and strength for Him. The hymn writer Charles Weigel put it this way, No one ever cared for me like Jesus. There's no other friend so kind and true. No one else could take the sin and darkness from me. Oh, how much he cared for me. In verse 8, David asked two questions of the Lord. The first demonstrated his concern when he said, Shall I pursue them? He said, Lord, there's a problem. What do you want me to do? Do I respond? How do I respond? So we ask the Lord for wisdom and direction in this area by saying, shall I pursue them? And notice, the second question reveals his commitment to God's response. For he says in the first question, shall I pursue them? And the second question, shall I overtake them? You understand there's a difference between chasing somebody and catching somebody. I'm sure a lot of you through the years and have had a dog or two that lived in your neighborhood that liked to chase after cars, yapping, barking, snapping at them, and just chasing them up and down the street, causing problems. People would slow down to keep from missing the dog and all of that. Well, have you ever thought what would happen if that dog got a hold of that tire? Boy, he'd be barking and he'd just yapping away and nipping away. at it. What happens if he sunk his tooth into that tire? Boy, pretty long, it'd be a flop, 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 flop as that dog is uh, drug along by that car. He would have gotten that car. He would have accomplished his task. But it would have been a whole lot more than he could handle. David knew that if he pursued them, he was in for a challenge. 
So he said, Lord, do I, do I go after them? And just try and intimidate them? Or do I pursue them and catch them? David needed an answer. And when we face problems, as we mentioned, God has an answer for the problems we face. But we need to be willing, if we go to the Lord and ask for wisdom, we need to be willing to submit to that wisdom. Here's a story I heard years ago. A fellow was hiking through the woods by himself and not paying attention. He rolled down a hill, fell off the edge of a cliff. On the way down, he was able to grab hold of a tree branch growing out to the side of the cliff. It was too far down from the top of the ledge for him to crawl up. And looking down, it was a long way down and he wasn't about to let go. So he's just screaming for help. Everything he could do. He's holding on as best he could. And he's calling, help, help, please somebody help me. And then finally, after a little while, it's obvious nobody is around. He said, God, if you can hear me, please help me. A voice from heaven came and said, I can hear you. And he said, God, please help me. He said, God, please, I'll do anything. Please help me. And he said, do you believe me? He said, I believe you, God. Please help me. I believe you. And he said, do you really believe me? And the man said, I believe you, God. Please get me out of this mess. Help me. The voice from heaven says, let go of the branch. It was quiet. And then all of a sudden, the fellow started yelling, can anybody else hear me? If you go to God for an answer, you have to be willing to accept what he says and do that which he tells you to do. For God will never lead us into a situation that he cannot see us through. God will never give us a command that we cannot obey. God will never lay out an expectation for us for the purpose of making us fail. He challenges us to do certain things in life that we might see that he is God and there is none greater than him, and he can and will direct in our lives. James 1.6, let him ask in faith, nothing wavering, for he that wavereth is like a wave of the sea, driven with the wind and tossed. A verse that we very often are able to quote, Proverbs chapter 3, verses 5 and 6, trust in the Lord with all thine heart, and lean not unto thine own understanding. In all thy ways acknowledge him, and he shall direct thy paths. You know, it's one thing to say, I trust the Lord, but it's a whole nother matter altogether to lean on him and not depend upon our own understanding and our own reasoning. And the only way we can demonstrate true faith in Christ is to acknowledge all his ways. And follow the path that he lays out for us, making sure we obey him. David gives us, in this first of four messages which we'll look at, a great lesson when facing heartaches and struggles. The importance of prayer in the midst of pain. For some, pain drives them away from God. For some, pain causes them to become bitter toward God. Others, pain moves them to doubt and disbelieve God. Pain, heartache, sorrow ought to move us to bow before the Lord and ask for his comfort, help, direction, 
and strength. I close with this thought. Many don't know that General Stonewall Jackson of the Southern Forces, the war between the states in our nation's history, was a devout Christian. One night, he was making his way through camp and a young officer approached him with a complaint. He said, sir, some of the soldiers are making noise in their tent. The general said, well, what are they doing? He said, well, right now they're praying, but they've been singing. The general looked at him with a stern look and said, is that a crime? The young officer answered, the Articles of War orders punishment for an unusual noise in the camp. The general looked at him and said, God forbid that praying should be an unusual noise in the camp. D.L. Moody declared every great movement of God can be traced to a kneeling figure. Then he went on to quote the last part of Isaiah 62, verse 6, where it says, Ye that make mention of the Lord, keep not silence. When overcome with heartache and pain, forsake not the Lord. Turn to him, trust him. We have the promise in Scripture, draw nigh to God, and he will draw nigh to you. When faced with difficulties and trials, let me encourage you to first, before anything else, stop and ask the Lord for help, wisdom, direction, strength, comfort, and encouragement. You'll find making your way through that trial will be far easier to do so with the Lord than without him.